There are few things in Western Europe older than the Jews of Spain. They were there in biblical times, under the Moors, and afterward. Then came Torquemada and the Inquisition, and for six centuries the only Jews in Spain were crypto-Jews, who succeeded in hiding their faith so well until it was all but lost. But now, the Jews are back in Barcelona, and their current leader, the chief rabbi of Barcelona, is a big bear of a man, a beer-drinking Mexican who was raised on gefilte fish tacos, that is apparently a thing, and has charmed his new community. How do I know? My cousin Julie from Southern California is a part of that community, has been for decades. She and her Syrian-Argentine husband have raised a son in this congregation. Rabbi Daniel Askenazi, they tell me, has been a champion of widening the circle for Jews in Barcelona, all while keeping everyone safe in perilous times. Of course, there are different flavors of peril, and we recorded this episode in the misty days before the great pandemic. So you will hear no coronavirus talk from me and the rabbi, and frankly, I'm rejoicing in that. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip drinking with exceptional people around the world. By the way, should I call you Rabbi, Danielle? Whatever you want. Okay. Hmm. I don't know, it sounds, it sounds good to say Rabbi, and of course, uh, my cousin, who is a member of your community, it's just uh, always says Rabbi, so I'm going to say Rabbi. Is that good? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I don't want to be overly formal, but listen, you have, you've worked hard for this title. So. We had to learn, yeah. <laughs> okay. A few years. So, Rabbi, you and I had communicated uh, uh, via WhatsApp. You said you're a craft beer fan. Yeah. Um, and uh, that you wanted me to just surprise you with the choices. So, uh, fortunately, Barcelona seems like it's a place where that is a very uh, You easy have a thing. great choice. Yeah. Yeah, you have a very good it's it's a full spread. We've got a porter. We've got an amber ale. We've got um, a gothic ale. Which one are you going the for? White okay. Yeah. Let's... The white miapa, and I am going to be able to open this like so. Let me pour it for you. Thank you. And oh yeah. So you can tell from the sound already, this is a good beer. Yeah, from the foam also. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's a fact. It's a good-looking beer. I'm going to have some, too, so we can uh, go straight at it. Um, so, before we start, cheers. Cheers, l'chaim. L'chaim. To life in the Gothic. Mm. Um, okay. Let's start with this morning, which my cousin was uh, deeply amused that uh, that I went there. She knows I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a religious person. Uh, and you know, she said, "So did you? Did you understand the service?" And I had to say, "I no. I mean, it's beautiful to listen to and to see. But what what is a Sunday morning service? What was it that I was witnessing?" It's a regular weekday service. Okay. Uh, 
for us, Shabbat, Saturday is the holy day. So Sunday will be a regular, a regular weekday service. So every every day at that time in the morning, you'll see a service. No, we, during the weekdays, from Monday to Thursday to Friday, we will pray at seven thirty. Okay. A.m. We will pray earlier for the and work. On Sunday, you know, yeah. you can, you get to sleep another hour. Um, what and what is? How does it distinct from the uh, from the larger? Uh, Sabbath services. I mean, obviously, there's more people on Saturdays. Okay, the basis is the same. We basically, the structure is the same. We begin with uh, praise to God. We begin uh, saying some uh, psalms and uh, and some Bible, uh, Bible verses. And then we will do the Shema, you know, saying, unificating the name of God saying that God is one, and then we will say the silent prayer, and then we will finish. Same format. Same format. Run it through. Same format. In Saturday, it's longer, more psalms, and more uh, and uh, some additions to the service, and that's it. What is your job during the service? I, di- I direct the service. Mm. I say what is permitted, what is forbidden, what is uh, what is what we are going to say, what we don't say. Uh, pretty much is the same. I am like everybody else. It's not like I am not like a priest. Right. If you put attention to the service, I didn't officiate the service. Yeah, it, it looked very democratic in that way. It's yeah. just like some guy is is leading, and, and then another one comes in, and yeah. Yeah, so I am one more yeah. of the of the crowd. Uh, I sit, you know, in a, in another. another You're place. on that kind of riser, yeah. Yeah, that, that. I sit in another place, but actually, if I don't officiate, I am like anyone else. Yeah, well, one of your jobs, uh, apparently, from time to time, is to remind a. Uh, uh, a wayward reporter that he should wear a yarmulke inside yeah. the synagogue. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I know what I don't know, but I even surprised myself by uh, walking in there bareheaded. Um, I should know enough. <laughs> that, that, the yarmulke, yeah. <laughs> but you were, you know, this is this is your job. You are there to sort of make sure that uh, that things are sort of by. Uh, yeah, by the law. By the law. Um, where did you start out? Where are you from? I was born and I was raised in Mexico City. In Mexico City? Mexico City, Mexico. You are a Chilango. I am a Chilango, yeah. Wow. A hundred percent. One hundred percent Chilango? hundred percent. What does that mean? Yeah. What defines you as a Chilango? Okay, so, you know, Mexico City, it's, uh, you, you have the actual Mexico City, the Distrito Federal, and you have the metropolitan area. Uh, most of the Jewish Chilangos are born in the metropolitan area. Uh-huh. I was born in Mexico City. So you were I was the born rare. in uh, I was born in Escandón. Escandón. Yeah, Hospital de México. Wow. It's called uh, that's the name of those but they were very original choosing the name Hospital de México. <laughs> it's in Escandón, Mexico. Whereas my parents were living inside Mexico City and they still live in uh, Mexico City. In, not in the metropolitan area. Through the, through the mo- most of the Jews moved Moved away. Yeah, moved away to the metropolitan area, you yeah. know, for bigger it's houses. Cheaper, it's bigger houses. More fresh air. Yeah, but I, I was raised in Mexico. I went to school in 
actual Mexico City, in the center of Mexico City. So you are a city kid. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I am a city kid. This, this um, community in Mexico City, where, where are their roots from? In my case, my parents, my parents were born in Mexico, but my grandparents, three of, them, the, three of the four were born in Aleppo, in Syria. Okay. The third, the fourth one, she was born in New York. But, you know, like she had 11 brothers and sisters. They were 12. 10 were born in Aleppo. And the last two were born in, in New York. In New York, and then and then they went down from there to Mexico. Yeah, they went by, out there from Mexico, and then we we used to we used to live in Mexico City when the situation, the security situation, in Mexico City got not that nice. We we went to live to to Los Angeles, California. Uh huh. Okay. And then we came back to Mexico. You did. So you had a few years of uh, kind of. Uh waiting out the storm in Mexico City yeah. and then coming back. Coming and leaving and going, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, so uh, Mauricio, who's married to my cousin, is also uh, is an Argentine, but also has a Syrian uh, Jewish background. What, I mean, how does that differ from, uh, I, I guess, the people who had immigrated from Eastern Europe? And what's, you know, for, for you, how how wide is the gap between the way that you practice the your, the culture? For me, it's not that wide because I went to an Ashkenazi school, mm -hmm. so I am used. So to you're everything. But you're Sephardic, but you I went am to hundred percent Sephardic. But I went to an Ashkenazi school. Uh, school it yeah. was near my home, an Ashkenazi religious school. And but and something that is somewhat confusing. Uh, to people also, but Ashkenazi as a last name is a Sephardic last name. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It, it will not make any sense for uh, an Ashkenazi to be called Ashkenazi. If so, all the Ashkenazis will be Ashkenazi. <laughs> okay, I got but you. But for example, someone that's called, I don't know, London, but he's from Lithuania. If he was from London, it, it will not make any sense. It'd be more, it'd be more problematic. Yeah, uh -huh. because everybody will be called London. So you've been code switching or, you know, whatever you would call it, moving between those two cultures since the very beginning. Yeah, Ashkenazi, Sephardi. And now it's, it's, uh, it's another culture because I am moving to a Spanish, Moroccan culture. Which North has its... Africa and uh, the, the, they have different traditions and different uh, approach to, 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 to Jewish law and to Jewish tradition. Mm. And uh, it is uh, different, very, very different. Um, is, this the, is this the family business? Was your father also a rabbi? No. Okay. No, my father was, uh, you know, what do you say in, in Yiddish? You say shmates? <laughs> shmates. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he was a merchant, it's just uh, businessman. Import-export kind of. Import-export, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, so uh, the, from the import-export, where did, you know, where did you get the, 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 the spark, the divine spark to uh, go into the clergy? At the beginning, it was clear that I didn't want to go to import-export. Mm. That's when that began. It's just not for me. You just It's a chemical, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is not like, what you love. Yeah, the family joined the family business. And, mm. Then I was, once I came, we, have a, we are a religious family. I went with my father to, um, to shul. Okay. To synagogue. 
And uh, my father used to pray in a very small synagogue where uh, there is a rabbi, a Moroccan rabbi called uh, Chacham Asher. Uh, this rabbi is, is he's a great rabbi. But the thing is that I was 10, something like that. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Aleppo traditions. Mm, no. But the Aleppo... Remember, I forgot to wear a yarmulke inside the synagogue this morning. <laughs> so so <laughs> the Aleppo, you, you have a lot of work to do here with me. The Aleppo Jews won't accept converts. They don't accept converts. Okay. And, uh, okay, so I... I never knew a convert, or, 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 I was, or I was conscious that he was a convert. So that was the first time. Like a convert, a very religious one, went to shul. And the, this uh, rabbi will give him the honor to get an aliyah for the, to the Torah, to, 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 to read the Torah. Okay. And he, you know, he went. Aliyah to go to Israel. No, 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 to no, the Torah. Just up to, to the, Torah the Torah in the synagogue. Aha, uh -huh, okay. To read the Torah at the synagogue. So there, there is another, it's part of the service that uh, seven people will go up and will read. And if they don't, want need, they don't know how to read, someone will read for them. So this comfort, when he was walking towards the hal, towards the, the altar, you will say? I don't know. Yeah. So someone... Stand, stand up. And he says, and he says, you cannot do that because you are not Jewish. And uh, it was like a moment of silence. Tension. Then, tension. Yeah. This rabbi, he's old right now. He's, 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 he's like, he must be like 80 something. This is your Moroccan uh, rabbi. So uh -huh. this rabbi, this Moroccan rabbi will hit the table. And they said, this is my show. And I do whatever I want in my show. So if you accept it, sit down. If you don't, you can just leave. And he sat down. So a few years later, I analyzed that thing that being a rabbi is not about defending God. Because God knows how to defend himself. He's, you know. Fair enough. God's a he's God. He's powerful. He's, he's powerful than me, for sure. Powerful than anything. But being a rabbi is defending those that cannot defend themselves. It's not defending God, it's defending people. It's defending, yeah, vulnerable people. And uh, it's not respecting your father. It's respecting your brother's. And that's the way that you please the Father. That's what I understood. And that's why I wanted to become like him. To have that capacity of standing up for what is right uh, without taking into account uh, anything. Like, if it's the right thing to do. Right. Without worrying about make the... Yeah. Versions. We will do the right thing. I am working to get to that situation. I am not. I will not say that I am complete, but well, I would imagine your rabbi would say the same thing about himself, right? Your old rabbi. It's like these things are a process. They're always the yeah. It's a it's, continuous process.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where did you study? You had studied in a lot of different places, right? In this path of becoming a rabbi. Yeah. Yeah. You had to leave Mexico to... I, I left Mexico in, when I was 18. I went to Israel. My main goal was to go to a yeshiva called Merkaz Arab. It's, it's a big, it's, it's an important yeshiva. Uh, and uh, to fulfill my obligation to serve in the army, uh, they have a... They have this kind of agreement that you will you will go only for six months to the army, and then you will go back to yeshiva. But when I I was in yeshiva, when I entered the army, when I was rolled, I got in love with the army, and I stood in the army for nine years. You stayed in the army for nine years. Yeah, I'm an officer in the Israeli army. And that didn't derail the plan of becoming a rabbi later? I didn't have a plan to become a rabbi at the <laughs> okay. time. It was just something that was kind of germinating it's, it's, in your mind. Cooking. Okay. It's, it what was you, in the oven. What do you love about the army? What I mean, these I seem like different avocations. I, I will tell you, for example, to be that close to, 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 to a person that even if someone, if, if it's very dark and someone takes their, their, their shoes off, you will know who it was by the smell. You know, <laughs> that they become family. And you fulfill this commandment of the Torah of loving your, your or loving the other like yourself because they are becoming like yourself. It's, it's like you, your partner is like you. So there was something about the community and as an officer later on, you're a leader also. In, so you're kind of learning. There are these parallels then to, to the two jobs, I guess. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, but you also had a secular education, right? Yeah, I went to, I went to university during my army service. Mm. I went to university, to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I have a degree in political science. Okay. Does that ever come in handy? No, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of politics going on in the rabbinic world. I will not deny it. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And you've studied some of the great uh, interpersonal conflicts of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. sure. Okay. Um, so you, so you, you ended up finishing it at, at yeshiva, also at the same yeshiva, or did you go elsewhere to finish your? I went to another yeshiva. It's called Yeshivat Batayim. It's a very, very special yeshiva. Uh, with this holistic and uh, very spiritual approach to Judaism. Uh, I loved it, but it was for, for a short time. I, mm. I am not built for that kind of meditation and, and introspection. I have to be active and, and I cannot sit down for a long time. So you were never meant to be a Kabbalist or a... No, 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 no. I, I, if I was meant to be a rabbi, I would be a, a community rabbi, a pulpit rabbi, but because uh, I tried. I, it's, not, it's not that I didn't try it. When I got married, I wanted to be a Torah student full-time. And I went to a kollel. A kollel is a rabbinic academy for married students. 
and they will pay you some something to study all day, and your wife will have to work, and uh, it, it was not for me. I, I was not able to sit 12 hours a day to study. It was very hard for me to, uh, to get a rabbinic degree because I had to sit for six hours a day. Right, there's some... Seven hours, eight hours a day. It was very difficult. It, it is... I, uh, it... I have a, what's it called, TDH. Oh, like attention deficit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have it. You know, it is... I, I was thinking that when I was at the service this morning, um, you know, because obviously the phrase is the people of the book, and, and you know, I think... Even even I know that that you know kind of the text is important to Judaism, but you really see it in the service like this, where just you know text and words and incantations and repetition are just like they seem to be right at the center of the, the 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 spiritual practice anyway. So yeah, a lot of studying. A lot of studying, but the thing with prayer is that all the time, every day, even though that you you say the same things, the same words, it's completely different. It's completely different. Mm. It's, a, it's a different experience. And if you don't have a different experience every day that you have come to prayer, so you are not doing it right. Interesting. Same words, the emotional flavor, the... Yeah, because maybe that day you have a difficult situation and you will say the same words, but your intention will be something else. And your kavanah, your, your intention, that is very important in Judaism, to have intention. To have this, uh, to be ready to pray, uh, will be different completely. And if you have the same mood, and if you are in automatic pilot all your life, so you're wasting your life, and you're wasting your, your, you know, your days. So it has to. Is that is that part of uh, is that part of your counseling to the to the communities, like to let them know that they should be experiencing it differently? Of course, yeah. they, they should be experiencing differently. They should learn. They should uh, connect emotionally with the prayer, to connect emotionally with the, with the Creator. That's, that's the whole objective, the, the, the whole point. The goal of, of, uh, of prayer is to connect with the Creator at a personal, intimate level. Even that we have, we need 10 Jewish men for prayer, it's an intimate connection mm. between me and the Creator, without any uh, interference and without any. How do you say? Like a mediator. Mediator. Or yeah. Mediation. Um, once you graduate from a rabbinical school, how do you then go and and get your first job? Well, I graduated from rabbinical school while I, while I, when I was still studying in this college. Mm. And as I said, my, my goal at that time was to be a Torah scholar. I wanted to learn Torah because Torah is for, is, is, it's everything. It's the most, I, I went to university and I study a lot of things and I read a lot, but not like Torah. Torah is something that fulfills you at a different level. But as I said, it didn't work. So I have the, I have a friend that was getting the job of, of rabbi of the city of Cali in Colombia. Okay, this was uh, another Mexican or a guy from Israel? No, no, he's an Israeli guy that was studying in Mexico. Okay. Uh, he later became the chief rabbi of Guatemala, 
And I will say that this uh, move that the Guatemalan did to get uh, their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was, uh, was mostly because of him. Huh. He did a great job with the president. He's close to the president. And I don't But uh, this friend told me that, uh, you know, I need an assistant rabbi. Uh, I do like to come to Colombia. When we, my wife was pregnant in seven months with our third child. Okay. Uh, seven months, eight months even. And we say yes immediately. We didn't thought about it. Really? Why? And, but the, your wife is pregnant. Okay. We will go to Colombia, whatever it takes. We just want to start our adventure as pulpit rabbis. So I was there for a year. It was a great experience, great people. Colombia, it's a great place. This city, Cali, is a beautiful place. Nature and, and the great weather and mangoes uh, falling down from trees at the street. Something crazy. It's <laughs> something a, crazy. A tropical beauty, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it was also troubled. I mean, or was this after the worst of the times? No, it was after. Okay. It, it, it was so we, pretty it's, safe. It's the new Colombia. Yeah, the, it's not, the new Colombia. Not the bad old one. Yeah. I, I will not say that it was free of problems. Colombia is not free of problems, but it's safer than before. Yeah. And uh, another thing that happened is that at the same time, when I finished my seventh month in Cali, I got a proposal from another city of Colombia uh, called Barranquilla. Sure, yeah. The North Coast. Okay. And they offered me to be the senior rabbi. So with uh, sorrow and uh, with... Uh, <laughs> Some apologies for yeah. the quick exit. <laughs> we had to go out from, from Cali. We left Cali and went to Barranquilla. I was a rabbi there for four years. It was, uh, I will say, an ambivalent experience. Like ambivalent? Ambivalent experience. Yeah. So there were great times, but there were very, very difficult times. What, what, what were the difficult times? It's That's a small community. Okay. And you're an Orthodox rabbi uh, in a community that it's not religious at all. Uh-huh. And people growing old very, very fast and... Uh, they are. They don't want to grow, and they are not interesting. Interested in growing spiritually. Uh, spiritually, they're spiritually not interested in growing. Spiritually, numbers. So. Oh, gotcha. Will, they, they will say that they want, but the thing is that they're not having enough babies. No, no. And uh, but I grew up a lot in Colombia in, in, in Barranquilla as a rabbi. I got exposed to new ideas from uh, American Orthodoxy, huh. that uh, I was not aware of them. Is that like a major creative force in Orthodoxy, is what American... The you have America, you have Israel, and you have Europe. Yeah. Uh, Europe and Israel are pretty the same. I mean, you lived in, obviously, speaking of America, you lived in Los Angeles. Uh, you've been, you've, uh, you know, practiced your religion there. Um, you know, kind of what the American Jew community is like and what it's about what's what's the difference for you or you know what are some of the differences between being a, a latin american jew like how are you guys received what you know what's the what's the work there latin american communities will be very closed communities 
will be communities that will never accept an outsider. If you are a Jew, of course, they will, they will accept you. But it's, they're very close communities. Hmm. It's, uh, and is that just because of the history of how they got there or where they came from? Yeah, and because of the, the local character of the people and uh, right. another thing that they will not say. But uh, they're, they're not just Jews, they're Colombians in that way, right? Uh, they consider themselves as Colombians, of course. Right, so they're going to have a local, a local version of what it is that they do. Yeah, for example, in Mexico, and Mexico is the best. I, I, I really love Mexico. It's my, my homeland. But the thing is that you will have this uh, Syrian food with guacamole. And uh, <laughs> this, uh, this thing's like uh, with tortillas. And, uh, you fill the fish with uh, tortillas and with hot sauce. Uh, so many readily fusions. available metaphors for your existence as a Mexican Jew, yeah, right? Th- there is a lot of... Cultural syncretism, you will call it. In yeah, English, sure. In Spanish, the same. Uh, a lot of cultural syncretism, a lot of fusion. Uh, not in the religious part. Of course, we speak Spanish, and I, it's my my mother tongue, and I love Spanish language, and uh, I feel more comfortable in Spanish than than in Hebrew, for example, or in English, even though that I speak Hebrew very good. And English, by the way. I'm trying. I have to practice. I am a little bit rusted. And uh, and uh, I do speak Hebrew very good, like at the university level, but I feel more comfortable in Spanish. For me, it's like my my comfort zone, yeah. <laughs> my, my mother tongue. And uh, they will have this influence from the outside, mm-hmm. but still being a close community. I grew up like that. I will tell you something. I was born in Mexico, and uh, when I was 18, I went to Israel. So until I was 33, I didn't have a non-Jewish friend. Not a single one? Not a single one, because I didn't know anyone. Wow. That is a closed community. I mean, I've been to Mexico City quite a bit, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever met a Jewish person that I that I knew of in Mexico City. So it's like, uh, you know, it's the opposite experience. Once you're in that community, that's just where you reside. Yeah, you're in a bubble. Yeah. And sometimes this bubble will be cracked when you, when you go to college, when you go to university. When I didn't want to university in Mexico. Right. So in when, Israel. Yes, then you're, you're kind of setting yourself up. Um, I'm going to crack open... Let's say, well, because we're in the Gothic, I'll crack open the Barcino Brewers Gothic Ale. Um, so you didn't meet, you didn't meet a non-Jewish person. Well, or you didn't have I, a friend. We met non-Jews, yeah. but the thing is that who were the non-Jews? Were my parents worker, by my father, my father's secretary, and. Yep. Uh, and the maid at, at home and and the teacher at school. So, but the actual having a relationship, the, having the, friends. The, even the doctor was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're, we're good at doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you <laughs> yes. have a lot of Jewish doctors. Uh, that's not that, uh, 
not that shocking, but it is, it is, I mean, what did it mean for Service you? Service providers were non-Jewish. Mm -hmm. Right. But that was the relations, the relationship. So how did that affect, you know, just kind of your becoming a, an adult and, and uh, kind of uh, evolving as a human? Uh, I, I don't know how, how, how that affected because... It's, it's the life you've lived, right? That's the life that I am living. Yeah. I, when I was 30-something in Colombia, I became friends with great people. I went to law school in Colombia for, uh, for a few years. I didn't finish, but then there I made a lot of friends. Boy, for someone who uh, can't sit still and study for a long time, you sure put yourself back in those situations yeah, again my, and again. Yeah, my mother is a lawyer, so I had to pay this all debt because <laughs> she's a lawyer and we are four brothers and sisters, two brothers, two sisters. None of them became a lawyer, none of us. So I wanted to, yeah. to pay an old debt. Uh, but uh, it didn't work neither. I, I, when we left, I was in my last year, my senior year in law school. I tried to enter here to law school, to go here to law school, but I didn't have the time. Yeah. It's over, it's, I have a lot of work. Sometimes it's overwhelming. So, uh, so I don't have the time. Maybe an open system, I will, I will do it. But, uh, the, the dream is not, it's not dead. It may still happen yet. Yes, of course, it will happen eventually. <laughs> it will happen. Uh, right, but once you're the chief rabbi of Barranquilla, right? Is this the position? Are you led a... a chief rabbi was the senior rabbi of the Jewish community. Okay. But the, that's an external relations position as well, right? It's not just taking care of your own people, but it's also then you have to deal with the government and you're trying to, you know, yeah. get the things that you need. So that's what really puts you into conflict with, with you know, the the, um, the Gentile world, I guess, Maybe, at that yeah. point, Maybe. the first time you had the contact. How did you come to be in Barcelona and now as the chief rabbi of Barcelona? The thing was like this. I was... Uh... Me and my wife were looking for a new professional home because our children were growing up and in Barranquilla there, were, there, there was no any proper Jewish framework for them, mm. not educational and not social and anything. I mean, how many people were you talking about in that community? 200 and something. Wow, okay, yeah. And there was a school. A Jewish school, and I and I'm and I'm saying this, it's it's not really a Jewish school, right? Saying it with love, but that's not what you were looking for with your kids. No, but the thing is, ninety percent of the students were not Jewish, so we were we were looking for a, for another home, for a professional home. And our main goal was to was to go to the United States. We wanted to live in America. Why? Because I because of what I said, uh, I got exposed to these American ideas, to this uh, uh, American kind of Judaism. Well, that, yeah, define that. Like, what are a few of the main characteristics, the things that you learn from American Orthodoxy? The modern Orthodoxy in America, uh, the rabbis in America will be more open and will be more uh, cheering. Hmm. For inclusiveness, okay, uh, in communities, I always wanted to be an inclusive rabbi. That's why I became a rabbi, hmm. actually. And what does it mean to be inclusive? Like to bring in converts, to bring in yeah. For example, 
converts it's the, 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 I believe that it's not the main point. Mm-hmm. But for example, converts also, yeah. In America, what will happen, in Latin America, what would happen if someone wants to convert, it will be a secret. And he will study in secret and then he will convert in secret. And when he comes to the community as a convert, everybody will know that he's a convert and will be distanced from him and uh, because they don't like outsiders. In America, if someone wants to convert, it's the most open. Hey, I want to convert. Yeah, everybody, oh, you want to convert? And they will, they will be supportive. Not, all, not only that, uh, for example, in my, in my experience of uh, being embracing for, for, if someone is married to a non-Jew, yeah. uh, in my perspective, I will not close the door immediately. Mm-hmm. Maybe Latin American community, they will do that. I will embrace. Of course, I have an interest for that family to become Jewish. We lost enough Jews in the war. So we cannot, you know, give more Jews away. Well, and it does sound like you have, um, from your experience in Colombia and and just being the Latin American Jewish experience in general, it's like you see the danger of small closed communities. Like they don't, they're not robust enough to support a school and all of these things. Like you're, you're advocating for a larger tent. I, I, I will not put it that way. Because my, 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 my thing is not expanding numbers uh, in the, uh, undiscriminately, undiscriminately. Yeah, not discriminatingly. That's a tough one. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, not just will, willingly. Order. Yeah, got it. Uh, but doing it like uh, how it should be. Uh, if someone wants to convert, of course, come. But they have to go through the due process to a process that it will last years, maybe two years, three years, I don't know. But after they converted, they are becoming part of the Jewish family mm-hmm. without any hesitation, without, without any uh, discrimination, without anything. They are Jews, our fellow Jews. Uh, so that's an idea you, you, you found was really developed, uh, well-developed in America. In America. And... Uh, the thing is that in America you can speak about some issues that in Latin America will be uh, will be banned. Uh, it will be closed. Uh, I, and I am speaking not only conversions, mixed marriage, LGBT. Um, I I am not saying what's my position, but at least let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Something that will not happen yeah. not in Europe and not in not in uh, in Latin America. Orthodox rabbis yeah. discussing and learning Torah about those things. Interesting. It's something that will not happen. So I wanted to learn more. Yeah. And we wanted to go to the states. And we applied for a few jobs in the states. And for some jobs we had uh, offers. But the thing is that the last time, at the last time, last minute. We had uh, we got an email from my friend that was the rabbi of Cali, mm. and then there was a rabbi in Guatemala saying they need a rabbi in Barcelona. I told I told my wife eh, Barcelona, 
they want, a, you know, a rabbi with the beard at here and with the big hat. And I am not like that. Is that the reputation of Barcelona? This community wants a real, the old school? I don't know. No, I don't know what they wanted. But the thing is that Europe, what the conception that you have of Europe is that. Mm. So I sent my curriculum. They liked it. They interviewed me. I came for another interview here. Uh, February 2018, it was the interview. They hired me and we came. That was it. And had you had you been to Spain? Were you aware of Spanish Jew, no, no, no. jewelry I, I thought, at all? No, 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 no. I I was not aware of a lot of things. There is a Spain is a very diverse country. It's not like you know, if you go to Mexico, you, Mexico is very diverse. But pretty much everyone is Mexican. So, <laughs> but here in Spain, you have no, no. The Catalans are not the same as the Basques. And the, they are not the same the, from Madrid. And it's it's another culture. It's yeah. I feel like you're probably having a very different experience as the chief rabbi of Barcelona than you would as the chief rabbi of Madrid, for example. I that I believe that Madrid also has they they also have their issues. And, sure. Uh, everybody has their issues. <laughs> right. Um, so we talked about the size of Barranquilla. How how big is the Jewish community uh, here in Barcelona? That's a good question. Nobody really knows. That's the question of the questions. So <laughs> we have. Uh, like 500 families that are members and we have another thousands of Jews oh. in Barcelona, Israelis mostly. Okay. And I believe that we can get to 12,000 Jews in Barcelona. Uh-huh. But they, a lot of those guys just never darken your door. No. Yeah. Most of them. Most of the Israelis will never. Israelis will send their children to our school, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, that is something that people, I think, understand less and less about Israelis. Is, uh, it's a very secular country. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, there's a, I can imagine uh, many of them opting out, at least uh, some of the Israelis I know. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. I will tell you something. Antisemites will not dictate my day. I will not will stop wearing my kippah. And I will not stop walking through the streets in Barcelona without a kippah and hiding. As a Jew, we hide for a long time already. Especially here. This is Especially the birthplace here. of Jews hiding. Yeah. And they have to understand something. This is our home. We are not leaving. We are not going anywhere. And if they have a problem, they have a problem. We are Jews. We are proud of being Jewish. Mostly we are safe here in Barcelona. I will not say that it's not France. It's not, uh, it's not some places in Paris that really it's dangerous. Here in Barcelona, it's not really that dangerous. But the thing is that even that there is a lot of anti-Semitism here, 
and is growing only will grow more if we hide. And they are accomplishing their thing, their, their, their objective. We cannot let them. We should show them ourselves as proud, Jewish, uh, proud Jews, as proud citizens of the city, that it's an amazing city. The proud citizens of this amazing country, uh, and uh, and of course our uh, our connection with Israel, with the state of Israel, we don't have to hide it. It's something positive. It's the only democracy democracy in the Middle East, and it's not that we are worshiping uh, I don't know symbols and. Uh, and killing of people and genocide like they do mm. neo-nazis and, yeah so we should be always we should be light and light can fight darkness light can you know can illuminate our, uh, an entire room uh, a little light darkness cannot fight light yeah there is no way if you make the room Darker, but if the light's still on, so the the room will be even more will be more illuminated. You know, so. it's it's interesting uh, that you say that. I think you know if you, uh, as I as I did when we were uh, first talking about talking, if you Google Barcelona Jews, I was trying to get a sense of the community. The first thing that comes up are a string of headlines from not all that long ago from your predecessor. Uh, the former chief rabbi here, who, you know, to paraphrase, I think it was maybe after the terror attack in the Rambla, was basically like, Jews need to get out of here, they need to go to Israel, which was a very controversial statement, uh, and I think something that is is at the heart of a really important and kind of live wire conversation for Jews, particularly in Europe. You sound like you're saying almost the opposite, like we're here, we don't have to we don't have to go to Israel and go and live there as the only place on earth we can be? <laughs> Going to Israel, of course, if someone wants to go to go and live in Israel, of course, it's, it's the most uh, elevated thing to do. But it has to be a choice. It has to be a choice. It has to be my own free willing to go and live in the Jewish state. And we were here before those anti-Semites. We were here before a thousand years. So Jews called this land home for, for generations. Millennia, yeah. We will not we will not we will not stop calling <laughs> they will not stop calling this place home. People worked here. This is home for them. So if they want to go to Israel, that is also home. It has to be their chosen. Yeah, they, they have to choose. How important is Israel? I mean, you know, to take me as an example, I am I'm, uh, the very definition of a non-Zionist Jew. I mean, I guess the Hasids are also. There's different types of mm-hmm. you know Jews that don't really believe in Israel. I'm I'm you know I'm kind of politically a, a leftist and. I cheer on the Israeli left as much as I can, but it's how how much of a part of the life of your community is is you think has to be involved in supporting Israel and being a part of that. I believe that you can define it as a non-political Zionist. 
Mm. Because, of course, the connection, it's evident we pray three times a day for Israel. And it's, it's obvious because it's the Jewish state. And it's the biggest Jewish community in the world and has this component of spiritual uh, homeland of Jews. You know, the, the, the central, it's central for Jewish spirituality. The land of Israel is central to Jewish spirituality. It's in the books. It's, it's not, where the books are from. Just, it's not just that the books. There is this component that there is the people of Israel and there is the Torah of Israel and the land of Israel. If some of those it's missing, there is no Judaism. I will say that in our community, the support for Israel, the thing that being there for Israel and the, as the Jewish state, as the Jewish nation state of all the Jews of the world, I believe that it's central. It's a very important part uh, without getting involved in politics. It's not our place. Is the decision of the Israelis to, mm-hmm. to vote and to elect their government, and it's 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 not our place to tell them how to vote or how to decide. But they should know that we will be there for them, and uh, we will be there for for Israel at all the times. Yeah, correct. What's the history and the background of this community? In Barcelona, as as you'd mentioned, and obviously as anyone with a passing knowledge of history knows, Jews have been here uh, for a very long time. They went into the the shadows, uh, I think, after the Inquisition, but the blood is still strong. Uh, but you're the actual people who who were at the service today, or your general community. Where do they come from? The thing is that in 1391, uh, the Jews of Barcelona were massacred. 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 Uh-huh. Massacred. We're massacred. Uh, those who didn't convert it were killed, and those who didn't were killed, they run out, uh, run, uh, run away. So there, there is a space from 1391 till 1918 that there is no. A official mm-hmm. presence of Jews wow. in Barcelona. So no official services, no nothing. There, there were services, and we have evidence of a lot of things happening with the. But they crypto were all Jews, the, crypto Jews. Yeah, the crypto Jews. So these would be people who maintain their Jewish uh, Jewishness behind closed doors and presented as Catholic uh, in the in the larger yeah, community. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was happening, but it was all underground. And yeah, dangerous. What's happening on the ground? In uh, 1918, uh, a few Jews from uh, Eastern Europe, from Central Europe, and from Turkey. That's that's very important to say because there were Ashkenazim and Sephardim, huh. and uh, Both. They, they they founded the community. Uh, the community is a hundred years old. The actual community, the community that nowadays, it's a hundred years old. Uh, in the 60s, they had this massive migration from Jews from uh, Melilla and Ceuta, Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built this, the, the, the central city, the great synagogue of Barcelona, Maimonides' great synagogue of Barcelona, 
was built in uh, in uh, 1954. The Franco didn't let the Jews or any non-Catholic religion to build any religious building hmm. till the 50s. And the community was, the, the shul was built, the, the synagogue was built in the 50s. In the 60s, there was this migration from from North Africa and from yeah, from Morocco. And then in the 80s, the first wave of Argentinians and uh, another wave of Argentinians later. Mm-hmm. And now we are a very diverse community, a very, very diverse community. That's something that is, it's not an homogeneous community. It's very, very diverse. Well, it's interesting because the style of your synagogue and the style of the service is is the Moroccan. Is that is that right? I will not say Moroccan. No, I will say mostly Moroccan with Sephardi and Ashkenazi nuances. Okay, little touches. How much of that recipe is up to you, and how much is up to just you know, kind of the, the members? When I officiate, teaching? I officiate what, as I was learned, as I was taught. Uh, taught. Mm-hmm. What 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 makes a Moroccan service like? What is the because I, I know the my, melodies mostly the melodies is yeah. the same all the Ashkenazim and the Sephardim and the, we sing the same texts everywhere in the world. So if you go to a synagogue, I don't know in whatever it will be, it will be the same service. Yeah. What will change is the the, the, the melodies. There's a lot more singing. I I know that this is something my little cousin uh, struggled with was like getting that Moroccan melody. But that's I think that was in the old uh, the old regime. It was more like uh, you know rigid about having to having to really sing that thing. But that's the main difference, and and the rest is the text is the text. Yeah. All right. Well, as we're rounding uh, the corner to the home, uh, the home stretch, a porter, or the amber ale. These are the choices in front yeah, of the I'm rabbi. Right. All right. Can I go? And here the rabbi took a little smoke break, standing with me on the small balcony looking out across the plaza and all the Catalan flags that residents had put up there. There is, or at least there was and will be, a big, fiery political war in this part of the world between those who want an independent Catalonia and those who believe in a united Spain. After we came back to the microphones, I had to ask this leader of an unaligned group, where does he and his community come down on the issue of independence? I believe that as a community, I am not saying as individuals, Yeah. because as individuals, everyone is entitled to his own position and his own opinion. But as a community, we are not and we should not get involved. Mm. It's not our place to do that. And I am a religious leader. It's not my place to get involved in those politics. Uh, and the thing when the, the subject come, comes out, yeah. when they tell me, oh, what do you think, Rabbi? I say, listen, I'm a Mexican. <laughs> I'm a Mexican. It's not my place to tell the Catalonians how to behave or if they want to be independent. I don't know. It's... Uh, I. Uh, I I hear the news and I read the papers and uh, and I am aware of the situation. But it's as a religious leader, it's not my place. The place to get involved as a foreign citizen is mm. not my place to get involved. Yeah, as I as I it's not my place. For example, to tell the Americans how to vote or the Canadians how to vote. I, mean, I am living here. 
And of course, it will affect everything that we do. But uh, we hope the, the, the main thing is that we should remain as a society uh, united and we should remain as civic as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, of course, our thoughts towards peace and towards uh, the unity of, of the people. Is, how is that working out for you? Are you able to keep the Jewish community kind of out of the fray? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's as, not... as as a community, as a religious, as a as a as a representative institution, we are able to to stay out from this. We have great relations with the local authorities, and it that's how it should be. I, I did see some some sort of plaques and so on in, in the front uh, of the synagogue, you know, from the local government. It's like obviously something you take pride in is is having uh, having a connection uh, to to them. That's important. Yeah, yes, yes. We have great relation, and uh, of course, we have we are also citizens. Uh, we we try to be good citizens of uh, of the land. And uh, we have great proud to be the, of being here. As I said, this is home for most of the people here. Yeah, you had mentioned Seota Melia, uh, a couple, you know, formerly very, you know, heterogeneous uh, places with a lot of different faiths, and and um, you know, I've, I've on this show I've been to, you know, all too many places I would say that used to have Jews, you know. Uh-huh like in Lebanon or Iraq and, and where Jewish people just can't live anymore. What does it mean to you to be able to build strong communities in, in these places that are, you know, were once Jewish enough and, and might be, be, become a safe and good and thriving place for Jews again? It's, of course, it's a cycle closing. We are closing a cycle or opening a new you one hmm. a, of Jewish life where there was no Jewish life. That's the essence of the people of Israel. That you can turn, out, turn off a light, but if a spark remains with the proper uh, care, you can have fire again. You can have a lot of fire. So for me, that's the essence of, of the people of Israel. Being able to return to this place and making a strong community uh, where they were expelled and they were killed and mistreated, uh, humiliated. We are not hiding anymore. And we are proud uh, to, to, to do this. It's uh, opening a cycle, a new cycle, uh, and uh, turning the light on again. Well said. Do you, as a grandson of Aleppo Jews, do you ever envision a day where a synagogue opens? I mean, Aleppo has many other problems also, but uh, do you ever envision a day where a synagogue opens back up in Aleppo and just, just as it happened here? Of course, and it will happen eventually. Jews will go back to Aleppo and they they will open again the synagogue 
and uh, they will pray like it's a community a thousand years old. Two thousand years, there were Jews in Aleppo. Only fifty years, there are no Jews in Aleppo. So well, when you put it that way, it does. Yes, it's inevitable then. Yeah, it will be. Uh, well, I hope so. I, I will meet you there, and we'll have a uh, a, beer. a, a delicious yeah, craft beer of in course. Aleppo the one Jews day. Jews in Aleppo were were allowed to make their own alcohol because if you know that. They, it's a Muslim country, and uh, Muslims don't drink alcohol, but Jews were allowed. So there were some good uh, distillers and, uh, and brewers back in the wine. day. Wine. Yeah. Wine and Arak. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, the beautiful Arak. Um, all right. Well, what do they say? Next year in Aleppo. Uh, next year in Jerusalem. Is that <laughs> okay. All right. Next year in the Jerusalem is the saying. Rabbi, thank you so much for uh, joining me uh, over these beers and uh, thank you. explaining. When, I, when, when Julie told me, no, he's, he, he interviews outstanding people, I said, so why me? <laughs> you are the chief, you are the one with the title, the chief rabbi of yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, that's only a title. <laughs> well, I, if, I think our listeners have figured it out by now. You are an outstanding individual. Thank you for being here. Cheers, Rabbi. Cheers. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Alexa Van Sickle is our producer. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Sound mastering and composing by Ricardo Gutierrez. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Next week, the last of our three episodes in Barcelona before this 2021 summer break begins... It is, in a way that I'm very much looking forward to, some home cooking this episode with my Roads and Kingdoms partner, the writer Matt Goulding. I have had more deep conversations with that man than with nearly any other in my life, so the range of options that we had was wide. In this episode, though, we are drinking sloppily from a porron and talking about the writing life. And he said so many wise things that I had actually never heard before. So, we will meet you there.